Let's go in our Bibles to Exodus chapter uh, 2. Exodus chapter 2, you can remain standing. We'll read uh, God's Word, and then you can be seated. Exodus chapter 2, and once you've found your place in Exodus 2, I'll ask you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, we've been doing that as we go through. Moses was a man of faith, and we see his name mentioned. He did several things by faith, according to Hebrews chapter 11. And there's just another aspect here that I want to point out that will help shed some light uh, on our text for tonight. And so Exodus chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to start. Hebrews chapter 11. I just want to read three verses here out of Hebrews chapter 11, then we'll go over to Exodus. So Hebrews chapter 11, and let's look at verse 24. It says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. A little bit later, I'll explain exactly what that means. But as we go back to Exodus chapter 2, and you can lose your place there, just wanted to set the stage and uh, shed some light on some things here in our text. But as we go back to Exodus chapter 2, a couple weeks ago, in our last message, we saw that, uh, that Moses' life was preserved by parents who operated by faith. And they placed him in a basket. They went ahead and said, we're going to go and have a family in spite of the opposition coming from Pharaoh and the declaration to kill all the firstborn sons. Uh, this man by the name of Amram said, I'm going to go ahead and get married. He marries a lady named Jochebed. Those are awesome names. <laughs> and uh, so they get married and they go and have a child. First one was a daughter. They had another child. He was a son. And they went, and had, went ahead and had another child and had another son. And they hid him. They saw there was something special about this young child. Evidently, God had revealed to them that he had a plan and a purpose for this son. And so because of that, they secured his life. And when they couldn't hide him anymore, they placed him in that basket, sent him down the river. And he came to the back porch of Pharaoh's daughter. And she took him in as her son. But Moses' mom got to nurse him and nourish him up for three uh, years, some say possibly even longer. But there's a likelihood and evidence that Moses maintained a relationship with his earthly parents because as he came to years, he knew about the God of Israel. He knew about the covenant, which is what we just read about in Hebrews chapter 11. He knew there was what, what the author of Hebrews calls it is the reproach of Christ, now, he didn't necessarily understand all of the Christological things there, but he understood this, what the covenant has to offer is better than what Egypt has to offer. And so he knew about that in his coming of age. Stephen tells us that he's about 40 years old when we come to our text. And so just imagine with me and not imagine, I mean, it's what happened. He's grown up in Pharaoh's house. He's a prince of Egypt. And by the time he comes to 40 years old, he's spent 35 to 38 years in Pharaoh's house. And it says in verse 11 is where our text will begin. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. 
And he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came to and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to Reuel, their father, he said, How is it that ye are come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. And he said unto his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter, and she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them." The title of our message tonight is this, The True and Better Deliverer. The True and Better Deliverer. May God bless you in his word. You can be seated and we'll explain our passage tonight. I love that song that we sang last, Christ the True and Better. It chronicles how Jesus is the true and better and ultimate fulfillment of these Old Testament saints that we have been looking at in the last couple of books. Like Adam, Jesus was tempted in the garden, but only Jesus never sinned. Like Isaac, he climbed that fearful mountain, but only Jesus laid down his life. Like David, Jesus was the good shepherd, the mighty king, the champion in battle who bled and died and yet defeated our greatest enemies of sin, death, hell, and the grave. But that third verse talks about Moses. Let me remind you of its words. Christ, the true and better Moses, called to lead a people home, standing bold to earthly powers, God's great glory to be known. With his arms stretched wide to heaven, see the waters part in two. See the veil is torn forever, cleansed with blood, we now pass through. 
Christ is the true and better deliverer that Moses couldn't be. And yet, when we think of Exodus, we think of Moses. Many people call Moses the greatest leader to have ever lived. Many secular authors even base their books off of some of the principles of Moses' leadership, though they don't believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. He's known to many and revered by Jews even today as the great deliverer of Israel. But in our text, we actually find out that Moses wasn't the great deliverer that Israel really needed. He wasn't the great deliverer that we often hold him to be. What we read here is that Moses was a murderer. We read that Moses was rejected and refused by his people. We read that Moses fled in fear of the king. (laughs) How are you going to deliver them from Pharaoh if you're scared for your own life? How are you going to deliver an entire people? And we find that he ends up in the Arabian desert where it says he was content to dwell in peace with his own family while the rest of his people suffered in Egypt. You see, this text shows us that Moses was not the deliverer Israel truly needed. A lot of times in our lives, we find ourselves looking to the deliverers we don't really need. We look to people to solve our problems, to solve our predicaments. We look to 12-step programs. We look to therapy. We look to psychologists. We uh, look to politicians. We look to uh, governments. We look to programs. We look to uh, man's help is what we look for. A lot of times when we find ourselves in a problem, we live and look to ourselves. We try to bail ourselves out. We try to pull ourselves out of the problem and bring deliverance to ourselves. It might be a predicament or a circumstance that's coming to your life that you want no part of. It keeps you up at night, worrying, thinking, concerned, searching for answers, searching for solutions. And a lot of times we have the tendency to panic, to get downtrodden, depressed, and not knowing which way this is going to fall. It can be an addiction where you try those different programs and you try the therapy and you try medication and nothing uh, seems to be working to get you off of this addiction. It could be a marriage that seems hopeless, one that's struggling. You've tried counseling, you've read books and nothing seems to work. And as you look at it, everything that we try to turn to when we've got problems, when we've got some kind of bondage, some kind of pain, suffering or affliction in our lives, we often look first to man's help. And what we most often find is that man fails. And man's failure, the failure of men's help points us to the reality that we need a truer and better deliverer. It points us to the fact that we need God to step into our lives just like Israel did. See, when Israel already had Moses, why did they need another deliverer? I thought Moses was the deliverer. And yet what we find is that Moses fell 
short and they needed God to step in. Why did they need God to step in? And and why is it that when it comes to these things that come into our lives, these things that bind us, these things that frustrate us, these things that scare us and put fear into us and afflict us, why do we need God to step into our lives? I believe that our text has the answer for us. I want you to see how everything here is set up really for Moses to step forth, burst on the scene, and become the deliverer that Israel needed. Everything was set up for it. First of all, what we see is that Moses chose to identify with the people of God rather than the Egyptians. We see that become crystal clear that while he grew up in Pharaoh's home, it says that uh, Stephen would tell us in Acts chapter seven that he was brought up and instructed in all the wisdom and learning of the Egyptians. He was brought up in this very wealthy home. He had the best security detail. I mean, he had everything going for him to enjoy the nice, comfy life of an Egyptian prince. That's how it was set up for him. But instead of choosing the comfy life of an Egyptian prince and all the wealth and all the sinful pleasure that comes with it, Stephen says that when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to leave the palace and go visit his brethren, to go and see his own people. And so when we come to verse 11, it says, and it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown again, according to Stephen, about 40 years old at this time, that he went out unto his brethren and looked upon their burdens. That means that he, he went out to observe and to inspect the suffering of his brothers. He went out to visit them, to empathize with them. And What he does is he goes in verse number 12 or verse number 11. It says that as he goes out, he sees this this, uh, Egyptian smiting one of his brethren, the Hebrews. And verse 12 tells us that he looked this way and he looked that way to make sure nobody was watching. Nobody could see. And it says he saw no man and he laid the whoop down on that Egyptian. It says he killed him. And he takes him out into the desert and he buries him in the sand. Thinking nobody saw it. Here I am. I was able to defend my brother. He chose rather than identifying with the Egyptian life and the Egyptian culture. He chose to identify with the suffering people of God. And we ask, why would he do that? And Hebrews 11 gave us the answer. It told us that in going to visit his brethren, he was choosing to identify with Israel rather than Egypt. And in this decision, he was choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. It tells us that he chose. There's a reason why I'm going to go and I'm going to identify with my people, with God's people, rather than enjoy all the pleasures and the illustrious life of an Egyptian prince. And he did it because he wanted or he esteemed, is what Hebrews tell us, he esteemed the reproach of Christ to be far greater riches than the treasures of Egypt and that he had respect to the recompense of the reward. Again, what that means is that while he didn't understand fully everything 
about the coming Savior and the covenant because there's much more to be revealed as the history of the nation of Israel goes along. What he did understand this, the covenant that the God of my fathers made with my fathers is a special thing. It's a precious thing. He did understand that redemption was going to come through the nation of Israel because that's why the author of Hebrews says he esteemed the reproach of Christ better than all the treasures of Egypt. It's because he looked at this covenant, saw it as God's plan of redemption, and he said, whatever I get from that covenant is going to be far better than everything that Egypt has to offer. And so he chose to identify with God and his people rather than the Egyptian culture. And a time is going to come in our lives when we've got a decision to make if we are, as Americans, going to identify ourselves with the American culture or with the Christian culture. Because very quickly, American culture has descended into something that is completely incompatible with Christian culture. When we consider the direction that our nation has gone, and we're going to have to decide if we're going to live for the purpose of the American dream or for God's purpose of redemption. And we're going to have to decide if we're going to live under the morality of the culture or the morality of God. Uh, and so we've got to make this decision for my own life personally, but also for my family. What culture are we going to live under? And living without God living for Egypt, living for America, it has its riches and it has its pleasures. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make with young people is teaching them, if you go off away from God and you live your life in sin, then you're just going to be flat out miserable and you're not going to have any fun and you're going to be dirt poor and all of that. No, the reality is people go off away from God. They, teenagers grow up in church. They go to college and then they live the secular party life in college and then they get their career and they get their penthouse and they figure out, hey, life without God is actually pretty good. Look at everything that I've got. But what the Bible says is you may have all the riches and you may have all the pleasures of life without God, but it only lasts for a season. But what it says is that the eternal riches of God and identifying with his people and trusting Christ as your savior and being faithful to God will yield to a far greater wealth, a far greater blessing in eternity that lasts forever rather than the temporary life and pleasure you could enjoy for identifying with the culture. We're going to have to make this decision. And that's what Moses saw. And he did the honorable thing and he identified with God's people when it would have been much easier to simply live the lifestyle of an Egyptian prince. And so when you look at this 40-year-old man who had everything going for him, and yet he says no to Egypt, and he says yes to his people. It looks like he's going to be the man. He's going to be the deliverer. He's about to burst on the scene. He's about to storm into uh, Pharaoh's palace, and he's about to tell him, let my people go. In fact, Moses tries to be the deliverer that God had called him to be. He goes out to visit them and he comes on this situation where, where this Egyptian is afflicting him and, and, and he, he instead kills him when he realizes nobody's looking and he buries him in the sand. He tries to step up. He tries to deliver his, his brethren from Egypt. That's what he tried to do. Here's the problem. He tried to fulfill God's calling for his life apart from God's instruction. 
He's not yet heard from God. He's not yet received instruction from God. In fact, the way he is trying to deliver his brethren contradicts God's way that you would take vengeance. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. He says, I will deliver you from your enemies. Thou shalt not kill. Those are the laws of God. That's the basic morality of God. And yet what Moses did in this situation is he stepped outside of God's instruction in an attempt to fulfill his calling. And the reality is this, you cannot fulfill your calling apart from God's instruction. See, where, where dads mess up is when they begin to degrade authority in front of their families and they constantly badmouth the president and they constantly badmouth the governor and other politicians and they're constantly dressing down their boss in front of their family and they're making fun of and degrading the school principal or the teacher or, the, or they might even uh, berate and belittle their wife in front of their kids and all the while what they're saying to their little ones is authority doesn't matter. And it's no surprise that when that child grows up, they don't think their parents' authority matters because their parents demonstrated that their authority didn't matter. And here's what happened. Whenever Moses decided to take things into his own hand and he tried to fulfill God's calling in a way that was apart from God's instruction, he lost the respect of his brethren. What happens is that the next day he goes out and he sees two Hebrew brothers fighting with each other. They're in a knockdown, drag out brawl. Dude knocks him out. Moses goes over there and he separates him. He tries to calm things down. And he, he says to the one who had done the wrong, he says, hey, why are you hitting your brother? You know what that guy said? Who made you a prince and a judge over us? <laughs> oh, you think you're going to rule over us? Is your intention to kill me like you did that Egyptian? I thought no one was looking. <laughs> he says, surely this thing is known. But if you look at what's taking place here, Moses attempt to grab life by the horns and try to fulfill his calling without having received God's instruction led to no respect. In fact, the rejection of Moses' authority. And that's what happens in our lives. When we try to do what God wants us to do outside of God's instruction, we end up losing the respect and influence with those around us. And that's exactly what happens with Moses here. Moses tried to be the deliverer that God called him to be. Wait a second, God hasn't showed up in Moses' life. Well, let's remember again in Stephen's message in Acts chapter 7, he says that when Moses defended his brother, that he did that supposing that they would understand that by his hand, God would deliver them. That tells us that Moses at the age of 40, whether it's from his parents or, or however this came about, he knew God had separated him to be the deliverer. But instead of waiting and depending on the Lord, he took matters into his own hands and he ended up murdering this individual and doing it in a wrong way. And thus his authority is refused by his brothers and he's worried that Pharaoh's going to find out about this thing. And in fact, in verse 15, it says, now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. It says, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. So now the great deliverer 
is a murderer. He's lost the respect and influence among his people because of his murder. And he's a coward running from the king. Do you see what I'm seeing here? Great deliverer, right? And what happens is instead of Moses being there with his people, Moses ends up on the other side of the Red Sea in the Arabian desert, hanging out at a well. He fled from Pharaoh. So Moses sits down by this well, and verse uh, number 16 tells us there was a priest in Midian, which is the region that he was in, settled there in the Arabian desert. And this priest had seven daughters, and these seven daughters every day would take the flock down to this well, and they would uh, feed or water the flock. And so just like they always had, they're leading this flock out there. They get the troughs filled up with water, and as soon as they get the troughs filled up with water, you know what happens? There are some professional shepherds in the area that after watching the women do all the work, they come over and they begin to drive away their sheep and they begin to let their sheep uh, feed off of this water. Great men. (laughs) Evidently, based on what their father says when they return back this day, he says, how are you come back so soon today? Evidently, this happened all the time and it often delayed them. They'd have to wait until those shepherds were done watering their flocks, and then they'd have to refill the troughs and then feed theirs and then go back. I mean, it was probably a whole day-long ordeal for these seven daughters. But this day, Moses was sitting by the swell. And when Moses sees these ladies coming to draw water and they get the troughs filled, you know, maybe he was taking a few sips here and there, but all of a sudden he sees these shepherds begin to make their way there to delay them and to harass these girls they always had. And Moses wasn't having any of it. And so it says that he drives the shepherds away and he draws the water for them and he waters their flock. These girls go home. They leave him there sitting by the well. They go home to their father. It says his name in verse 18 is Reuel, or however you say that. (laughs) His name's going to be Jethro in the next chapter. I prefer Jethro. It's a little easier to say. Uh, But they come to their father, and he says, hey, how'd you get back so soon today? And they said, let's just look at uh, verse number 19. And they said, an Egyptian delivered us. Notice it doesn't say a Hebrew. That's meant to get our attention to show us this man who tried to identify with the Hebrew people, nonetheless is still alienated from the Hebrew people and is still known and recognized as an Egyptian. It, It tells us there's still a separation here. It tells us that he's off on his own with no Hebrew identification here. He looks like an Egyptian. They tell their father that this Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and he drew water enough for us and watered the flock. Their dad said, why'd you leave him there? Bring him back here for a meal. Maybe he could help you out every day and expedite this process. And so they said, go and call him. And so Moses comes back and he, and he has this meal with Jethro, with Reuel and these daughters. And I want you to see verse 21. It says this, And Moses was content to dwell with the man. That word content, it means to be pleased. It means to be resolved. It means to desire to stay there. He was content. 
This was pleasing to him. What was pleasing to him? It says to dwell with the man. It's important to take note of this word dwell. It doesn't say to sojourn with the man. It doesn't say to temporarily stay with this guy and his daughters. The word dwell, it means to settle down. It means to take up residence, to establish yourself. What this is telling us is that Moses has left the land of Egypt. He's forsaken God's people. He's gone out into the wilderness. And in this wilderness, he finds this man who's invited him to stay with him. And he's perfectly content to dwell there with no intent to return to Egypt. And so it says that he gave him his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. So Moses gets married. And it says that in verse 22, she bare him a son and he called his name Gershom means the son of a stranger, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. When you look up what that means, it means this. I have become a foreign citizen in a foreign land. What he's saying is this. I know where I belong, but I'm just going to go ahead and make my citizenship here. What this tells us is that rather than endure affliction with the Hebrews, rather than standing up to Pharaoh, in fear of the king, Moses would rather settle down in Midian apart from God's people. Let's think about where he's been. He's got this mark on his life. While growing up in Pharaoh's house, he knows he's the son of a Hebrew woman. His parents have told him that he's a proper child, that God is going to use his life to be Israel's deliverer. And so he's got this going on. And now he's 40 years old, which would have been the manly age at that time. The wisdom is there. The skill is there. It would have been time for him to rise to power. And he goes out to visit his brothers and he tries to defend them and they refuse him. They reject him. He's fleeing from Pharaoh and he's out in the desert wilderness. He tried to establish authority and was rejected. And now it seems as though Moses no longer cares about his people back in Egypt, that he is content to live in Midian forever. And the reality is this, he does for 40 years more. He's 80 years old when chapter three comes on the scene and God calls out to him in the burning bush. 40 years in obscurity. Boy, what this tells us is that everything was set up for Moses to burst on the scene and be the deliverer that he thought he was supposed to be. But what we see here is that Moses was not the deliverer Israel truly needed. Israel needed God to step in. And thus we come to verse 23. In the process, and came to pass in the process of time. You know what that tells us? A lot of time passed between verse 22 when Moses establishes a family in Midian and chapter 3 when God shows up in his life. Enough time to where the king died. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. We've seen how Moses feels about the people of God. He's content to stay for away from them forever. But let's see how God feels about Israel. 
It says, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried. And I want to just point out to you how many times God's name is given here. It says, and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. You know what? These few verses are screaming to us. Israel didn't need Moses. Moses couldn't do it. Moses was a murderer. Moses was a coward. Moses didn't care about the people of God as much as he thought he did because he was fine living in the wilderness for the rest of his life. And yet what they needed was God to deliver them. They needed God to hear their cries. They needed God to take care of their needs. They needed God to bring salvation and redemption. And it tells us that God saw them. God heard them. God had respect. He took note of them. That while the cries of bondage rang hollow in the ears of Moses in Midian, they rang loudly in the ears of God in heaven. He heard them. See, God had to step in because true deliverance could not come through Moses. It couldn't come through Moses. Fast forward 80 years later, you have a generation who has been delivered from Egypt by the hand of Moses, by the hand of a changed Moses. Moses was a failure at the age of 40, but after some time in the desert, in an occupation as a shepherd, And after God showed up to him in a burning bush, God began to change the man into somebody he could use to deliver his people out of Egypt. I'm just thankful that failure doesn't have to be the end of your story, that God can do a work in your life and he can change you and he can fashion you into a person that he can use in his redemptive plan. And that's what he's going to do in Moses' life. And so you've got this generation that has been through 40 years of wandering in a wilderness desert because their fathers didn't have the faith to go and conquer the promised land. And Moses has been with them every step of the way. Some of them were little toddlers. Some of them five, six, seven years old as they were delivered out of Egyptian bondage. They vaguely remember pictures of the Red Sea being parted. They remember the hustle and bustle of trying to get out of Egypt. They remember some of the the waves crashing down and drowning uh, the Egyptian army. And so there are vague memories of this God who had delivered them. But all along the way, you know what they saw? Moses holding out the staff with his arms stretched wide to heaven. They saw Moses uh, with his, uh, his staff turning into snakes. They saw Moses uh, turn the water into blood when he touched it with his staff. And as they went through the wilderness, they saw Moses lead them into battles. They saw uh, God speak through Moses up on the Mount Sinai. They knew that Moses was the man that God spoke to face to face as he had that glow upon his face. And so as they are standing there on the banks of the Jordan River, Moses is now passing off the scene and they're about to be led into battle by a young, somewhat inexperienced leader by the name of Joshua. I shouldn't say young. He was older by this time, but nonetheless, Joshua wasn't Moses. Moses was all they knew. In many of their childhood perspectives, Moses was the great deliverer, but now Moses is off the scene. 
And imagine their doubts. Imagine their skepticism. Imagine their concern. Is Joshua really going to be able to lead us into these battles? I remember what our father said 40 years ago, that there were giants, that there were walls that went all the way up into the clouds, that they said that we were as grasshoppers in their sight. If we don't have Moses, how can we know that we're going to have victory? And their eyes are coming across this section of chapter 2, and what they're seeing is that Moses wasn't quite the man they always thought he was that Moses was a murderer, that Moses was a coward, that Moses was proud, that Moses tried to rule with a rod of iron and establish his authority, and that Moses was perfectly content to dwell out in the wilderness. And what they see as they come to the end of this chapter, that it was God who heard their cries. It was God who heard their sighs. It was God who remembered his covenant. It was God who looked upon them in their affliction. It was God who had respect unto them while Moses was off in the distance, minding his own business. He wants them to know this, I am still is. <laughs> that your deliverer wasn't Moses, your deliverer was God. And how befitting is it that the leader who is going to lead them into the promised land, his name is Joshua. His name is Yeshua. His name is I am saves. I am delivers. And as they look at this situation, as they stand on the banks of Jordan, they could have the confidence to go and fight these battles because God had a covenant and God was their deliverer. The promises were his, not Moses's. What God wants Israel to understand through this text is that they needed God to step in because true deliverance comes from God and not from men. Moses was not the deliverer who could bring true deliverance and redemption to the children of Israel. And yet centuries later, as Jesus was walking on the earth, there were still Jews who looked back to Moses as the means of salvation. I was reading my Bible reading in John today. You know, when Jesus healed this blind man and he said, what, will you be his disciples? You know, and when, when he said, if I, if I tell you again, I've already told you how I was healed and who it was that healed me. And so if I tell you again, are you going to go off and be his disciples? And they said, we're Moses disciples. They thought it was their adherence to the Old Testament law that was going to bring them the deliverance that they needed even all those years later, they were still looking to Moses. They thought that Moses could save them. But still today, there are those who think that their law keeping and their religion and their baptism, their sacraments, their good works, their moral conduct will earn them a place in heaven. But there is nothing that we can do to deliver and save ourselves. And the reason why is because those who need to be delivered cannot provide deliverance. And that was Moses problem. Moses is on the run from Pharaoh. He himself needed to be delivered. And because he needed to be delivered, there was nothing he could do to deliver Israel. And it was the very same thing when Jesus was walking on the earth. He was trying to get across to them. The law of Moses has never been able to save you. It brought you to the point where, I mean, we talked about this on Sunday for the last couple of weeks, that the law and the prophets were like vehicles to drive them to the gates of heaven and enter through the door of Jesus. 
That's what he was trying to get across to them. But still today, we have those who try to deliver themselves. And what they're finding is this. Every piece of man's effort and help fails. It all fails. But 2,000 years ago, just like God did with Israel, God stepped in for us. He stepped into our world and he was incarnated in human flesh and he designated himself with the name Jesus, the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua, which still means I am saved. <laughs> and he burst on the scene and he lived the perfect life and fulfilled the law in ways that we never could. And yet he laid down his life for our sin so that without our righteousness, we could have his righteousness and be delivered from death and be delivered from sin and be delivered from hell and have eternal life and be forgiven in the eyes of God and declared righteous, not by our works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We needed God to step in because true deliverance comes from God and not from men. We needed him to step in. And if you're here and if you're bound by sin and, you're, and the wrath and the condemnation of God is against you because of your sin, namely eternity in hell, you can be delivered, you can be saved, you can be freed if according to the Bible you will place your faith in Jesus' atoning death for your sin and call upon him to be your savior. The Bible says thou shalt be saved. You can be delivered. Those chains of addiction can be broken. That, that binding sin in your life can be, you can be freed from it by faith in the true and better deliverer, Jesus Christ. And the truth of the matter is this. If he has delivered you from your greatest problem, from your greatest bondage, from your greatest predicament, then what is there in your life today as a Christian from which he cannot deliver you. It doesn't matter what you're caught up in. It doesn't matter what the problem is, what the predicament is. I am still is, which means I am still saves. And that's true of your eternal salvation, but it's also true of the deliverance you need today. That I am can still save a broken marriage and he can still repair a broken relationship between parents and their kids. And he can still uh, repair uh, broken work situations and, and he can deal with your financial problems and he can get you back to a place of stability. But what happens is a lot of time when we, times when we've got a predicament going on in our lives, when we've got a problem, like Moses, we try to take matters into our own hands. We try to grab life by the horns. We try to bail ourselves out of those situations. And when Moses tried to take matters into his own hands, he ended up in the middle of nowhere for 40 years. And what we find is a lot of times when we try to bail ourselves out and we try to depend on ourselves and our own skill and our own minds and our own abilities, we also end up in the middle of nowhere going round and round in circles and months later landing back in the same situation that we were before, going nowhere. But what God wants you to understand tonight is that the true deliverance you need, it's not gonna come from you. 
And the true deliverance you need is not going to come from your friends. It's not going to come from your family. It's not going to come from the government. It's not going to come from politicians. It's not going to come from programs that the true deliverance you need can only come from God. But he's telling you, I'm still the same God today who worked for Israel back in Egypt, and I'm the same God who worked for Israel in in the times of Joshua, and I'm the same God who was working when Jesus came to pay the price and bring ultimate deliverance. And if you are my people, if you are a born-again, Bible-believing Christian, God says, I am still here for you. I still hear the cries of the bondage and the affliction that you're in. I can still hear the sighs in that word. It means, it means a vocal indication of pain. Ugh. There are situations in life that bring you to that place. Ugh. Not again. Can't believe I'm here again. I can't believe I went off at my wife again. I can't believe that I'm in this financial problem again. I can't believe I'm having relationship trouble again. I can't believe work is going south again. I can't believe my boss is still treating me this way again. They promised they weren't going to be that way. I can't believe my husband went off at me again. He promised me he wasn't going to do that again. And you hear, and I want you to know, God hears these sighs that are, and these groans that are going on within your heart, and he takes notice of it, and he's ready. If you would simply wait on him and trust in him, He's ready to swoop down like eagle, like an eagle and carry you on his wings. That's what the Bible says. To bear you on eagle's wings. If only we would have the faith to wait on him, to seek his instruction, to seek his plan. And when he tells us what to do by faith, simply do it. See, we need, you don't need your pastor to step into your life. I got my own problems. You don't need your parents to step into your life. You don't need your family. You don't need your church. You don't need your friends. You don't, you don't need Boulder County or the state of Colorado to jump in and save you. That deliverance will be futile. It may just send you in circles, ending up in the same place again. But if we'll trust God and we'll believe and follow his instruction, he can bring the deliverance you truly need. He can get your marriage back to a strong place on rock-solid ground. He can repair your relationship between you and your estranged father or your estranged child. He can lead you to the right job at the right time. He can, he can take care of every single need you have if you would but trust in him. The first thing we want to do when life gets crazy is to take care of it ourselves like Moses. God wants the first thing we do to be to cry out to him instead of man. Because the deliverance that man can bring will always fall short of the true and better deliverance you really need. But God can give you what you really need. 
And so if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior and you've been chained by sin, if you'll trust him today, he'll free you. If you'll trust in Christ. And if you're a believer and you're going through things in life that you just wish were not a part of your life, he'll deliver you from it. I'm not saying he'll take every problem away. I'm not saying he's going to make life easy on you. He may be merciful in many ways, but what he's promised is to be with us through it and to show us his strength and to provide for us in strange and unique ways. He'll take care of you in ways you can't take care of yourself and in ways nobody else can. So why don't you start trusting him instead of man? And what you'll find to be true is the same thing Moses eventually found out to be true. God's who I really need. And God will be who I need if I'll trust in him. Father, we come to you tonight thankful that you are good and kind towards us. That you love us. That you hear our cries, our prayers, even the silent ones that we can't express or the things we can't tell anyone about. You know our need. And I'm thankful that you step in. And Lord, I'm praying that for those that are in our church that are facing the fire, so to speak, even now, that they would be encouraged by who you have revealed yourself to be. Not a God of the past, but a God of the present. And that you're still available to deliver if we would but cry out to you. And I pray that they would find the strength to seek you and to follow your instruction. And I pray if there's anyone here that's not trusted Christ, there's anyone that's tuning in on live stream that has not placed their faith in Jesus, I pray that the word and the gospel would speak so clearly to show them that Christ is the true and better deliverer and that he can bring full and complete deliverance if they'll place their faith in him. So God, may you make people free by the truth that you can deliver. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.